we're back with podcast number three of Drive and Protect. I'm Larry Casilla from AmmoNYC.com. We are obsessed with driving and protecting our cars. Now, on today's episode, we're going to talk about the different categories of car care or what I call car cleaning products. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about brands specifically, but the categories themselves. So, you know, for example, compounds versus polishes versus glazes, um, more uh, broader themes because, uh, you know, I get a lot of questions that are generated uh, by this kind of product confusion. So I think it's going to be fun to, to chat about the bigger, let's call them silos of, of categories. So it's not, you know, one product versus another product. It's more one category versus another. And I think by playing that game, you can sort of, you understand, you know, what the difference is between the two of them. And this, again, I cannot emphasize, and I'll, I try, I'll try not to say it too many times, but it's going to be broad because, uh, you know, when you're mixing chemicals, you can make you can make a wax have abrasive in it, and you can make a compound have a wax. You know, you can kind of play around with things. So, um, just give me a little leeway with that. But then later on, we're going to talk with uh, Mike Spinelli. He's a good friend of mine, and of course, you know him from Jalopnik.com, the Drive Channel. He has on the Drive Channel. He has uh, After Drive and Drive Central. Um, really witty, uh, fun, fun dude. Great writer, by the way. Um, he also has a website of his own, savetheenzos.com. So we'll talk more about that. But I've always wanted to know, you know, where Jalopnik came from and the, specifically the name, but, uh, you know, how he rose to the position that he's in, which is pretty cool. Because a lot of people, and I hear it on, you know, the Smoking Tire and, and you know, various other places, how did you get where you were going? And, it, you know, I was, I don't know. I just like to ask people how they got where they, where they, where they are. Cause it's interesting and you can kind of correlate to yourself. Hey man, you know, maybe I'm not into automotive journalism, but maybe I want to be a photographer so I can, I don't know. You can kind of piece together uh, successes uh, of others. So he's a super cool dude. So I'm excited to talk to him about that. Uh, okay. So, but before then, you know, I always got to chat a little bit about this crazy weekend, but uh, this weekend I went to the new Canaan car show, uh, caffeine and carburetors, uh, and, and that's where I met up with Mike and we were chatting about BSing about tons of random car related things. But, um, I just love going to shows like that specifically because they're, they're early in the morning. So it's nice to get up and it's cool out and you know, the cars are running really great. Um, it's quick and there's big names cars there and then, and then you drive home. So it's kind of a, you don't lose the entire day and, you know, put out lawn chairs and that sort of thing. So a uh, big shout out to those guys. It was a lot of fun, but more importantly, the night before I spent probably, I don't even know, eight to 10 hours, uh, restoring my paint on the, my black nine, six, four. And I went over to my buddy, Jonathan Adler's house and Paul Willimoski and uh, a bunch of guys came over to, to Adler's house and, you know, we listened to music or whatever and we ate pizza and we basically washed our cars. It was really dorky, but I had a, I had a good time. The thing that I'm sort of holding my, uh, you know, hand in hat, right. Or uh, hat in hand right now is that uh, I didn't film it. And the reason why I didn't film it is because I was just so in my zone. I brought all my cameras and all my goofy stuff or whatever, but I just, I couldn't bring myself to do it because I was having too much fun finally detailing my own car. I'm sure you guys have seen me. I have a few million dollar cars and all these amazing things. And I was just so excited to finally do my own baby that I kind of just got engrossed in it. But I will give one, um, little tidbit here when you're polishing specifically paint like that. It was older. I think some of it might've been hit and you know, it, this is not a show car by any means. I can tell you that it's, this is a driver's car, specifically mine. So I'm, I'm happy. I can say that with, with full authority, but when you're restoring a car like that, 
Uh, I use my two-step method where I use the microfiber, the yellow microfiber cutting pad um, with a product that I have, of course, and I'm really excited. Maybe I'm, some of you already know it, but I'm releasing that product soon, as well as a foam pad with um, my jeweler's polish afterwards. So I did the two-step process, but the point that I wanted to um, kind of give across because I love making these videos and, and educating is when you're taking off um, the first layer and you're using the compound, sometimes occasionally when you get, when you run into really kind of beat up and nasty paint and it's um, there's a lot of uh, degradation in the and a lot of things are coming off the paint is what I'm trying to say. If you if you get your microfiber towel damp and then try to wipe it off, it's actually going to pick it up much smoother because sometimes I'm sure a lot of the details out there can are shaking their head behind the you know listening to their their iTunes right now. But when you when you buff something that's in that sort of condition, a lot of times if you use a dry microfiber towel and you try to get it off, it's a pain in the butt. It just won't come because there's so much that you just broke through, so much nasty, old, gritty, you know, clear coat and or single stage paint, whatever it is that you're getting through, it just doesn't want to move and it's goopy and it's a pain in the butt. So um, I guess my little tip for today, because I'm feeling guilty that I didn't shoot this video, sorry guys, um, is that I was going to I was gonna talk about how just, just use a damp microfiber towel once, you know, swipe it and you'll pick up all this gunk and then go back in with a dry microfiber towel. Just, I'm talking about that specifically when you're, in between panels. So you're, you're doing step one, then you're going to do the wet microfiber towel trick. And then, you, you know, you finish the rest of the car and then you go back in and polish it. So it's just that little kind of tiny little tidbit. So don't be scared to use a wet microfiber towel. Anyways. Um, uh, I also put, uh, adjustable, uh, conies on there and I just had the most fun yesterday. I went up and I went with my buddy, Rich Sarah, and we, we played around with the adjustable suspension. I'm going to take a video of it because it's so wild to think if you put uh, you know, adjustables on, you just pop the tire off and take the pressure off the wheel, meaning it's, it's not uh, holding any weight of the car. You can just go in there literally with your hands and twist this coupling and you can raise and lower your car literally within, I'm going to be, let's say, I'll be realistic. I'll say less than 10 minutes. Even if you do one car, one wheel at a time, it's that easy. But if you have a, like a real car lift and you pop them all off at once, it take you five seconds. It's crazy. Um, I'm sure a lot of you going like, yeah, well, that's what adjustables are, but I, uh, I haven't really been into that scene and it's pretty neat. And you can also adjust the, the ride or the comfort or how stiff the shock actually absorbs on the top. So I'm sure lots of you know what I'm talking about, but I was just bouncing off the walls. I was so excited. So I got to play with my ride height because it's remember in the last uh, podcast too, we talked about the dead cat space, which was driving me nuts. So, um, anyways, playing with that. And lastly, before we get into the important stuff. I like to kind of keep you up to date. I had this really nice gentleman call me. His name was Matt. Um, and he said he watches all the videos and he's out in Los Angeles and you know, his, he got to work on his cars and his, he got get away from crazy work or whatever. And, and basically, you know, the whole philosophy is you kind of go in your own zone. And in one of the podcasts or one of the emails or one of the blog posts or something I wrote a while back, or maybe in one of my videos, I like to listen to Pandora. Um, and specifically, I listen to like one of my channels or whatever. I listen to TST, uh, which is iTunes. But on Pandora, I also listen to uh, comedy, today's comedy, whatever, you know, some sort of comedy station because I like to just listen to people tell jokes or whatever. So I said that in one of my podcasts. So this guy calls me up and he's, um, I won't say where it is, but basically he's a talent agent for these young and upcoming comedians or whatever. And they're doing something in New York uh, next week. And he was super kind and said, hey, man, I'm going to give you these you know, VIP passes backstage or whatever. You can hang out with the comedians and, um, you know, I want to meet with you and, and whatever. So 
I'm really excited and really grateful. But the cool thing is I'm going to try to bring a, uh, as long as I don't get it taken away or whatever, but I'm going to take a GoPro because I feel ob- not obligated, but you guys got me that opportunity to be able to go there because I get to do this and, and chat about cars and, and, and have fun teaching people. That's, that's why I like doing this. And, um, just by you keeping this going, I have the opportunity to now go to this cool comedy thing and bring my wife and see the behind the scenes. So anyways, uh, not to bore you with that, but thank you for that. Um, and, and I appreciate it. So I'm going to shoot a video and you get to see behind the scenes. I don't know. It sounds like fun. All right. Enough of that. Let's get into product confusion. Flip my page over. All right. Product confusion. We're going to, we're going to talk about, um, we're going to start off, uh, with the most aggressive and we're going to go to the least aggressive or we'll talk about it more, but it's actually not least aggressive. There's no aggressiveness in it, meaning there's no grit in it. So I'm talking of course about waxes and sealants, sealants and coatings and blah, blah, blah. So let's start off most aggressive. Now I spoke with my buddy. Um, I've had a long time, Vinny Sprano from uh, JNF automotive. And we were chatting about a few different things. And I want him to clarify. So we're going to start off with extremely aggressive, meaning outside really the world of detailing. Again, I'm using air quotes and I'm using broad statements here. So don't pin me to the wall, but outside the realm of detailing where 99% of the guys are going to be going as heavy as compound and maybe a little bit of wet sand, but we're going to go into the world of body shops because I want to show you the entire spectrum and then I'll emphasize our little section. So most aggressive before like your like car comes in and got hit or whatever, and you want to sand down all the areas and then put Bondo in or whatever material you want to do to, to build it back up. Some guys use all the way down to 36 grit. Now, Vinny was telling me, hey, we don't really do that, but it is possible. We usually stay between 80 grit and 100 grit. Now, before we get into all the grits, I just want to go over a little uh, thing that helps me remember grit. I mean, nowadays I remember because I've been doing this for 20 years, but essentially the, the lower number in the grit, the stronger the cut. And the way that I remember this, because obviously it can get confusing if you're just, you think, hey, the lower the number the strong, you know, the, the, the lower, the, the cut, it's actually the opposite. So think about it this way. If you have a one inch piece of, you know, paper by one inch, a one inch square piece of paper, a little tiny piece of paper. And on that piece of paper, you have to put a bunch of rocks on there and each rock has to touch each other. Okay. You with me? So there's no space in between anything. They're all bumped up and you have to fit the maximum amount in there. If you had to put 36, remember we talked about that, 36 grit. If you had to put 36 rocks on that one-by-one one piece of paper, you know, the little miniature rocks, obviously, think of the size that they'd have to be, right? So they're big, 36 of them. It'd have to, you know, you have to really kind of fit in there so you can kind of feel it in between your fingers, right? Then if you go up to, let's say, 5,000, like another way, way, way uh, different kind of sandpaper, super light, if you had to put 5,000 little pieces of, rocks in there, let's call them sand, um, how small would they have to be? So that's the way that I know that's a little bit of a goofy, hopefully the visual will get you and go like, Oh yeah, I get it now. So the smaller the number is 36, the bigger the actual unit or the cutting device has to be within a certain defined area. Likewise, the smaller, uh, excuse me, the bigger, the, uh, the, 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 uh, cutting device in that, uh, squared area, the less amount of cut you're going to get. So it's even confusing to say ver- uh, verbally, but hopefully you guys are getting my uh, little analogy there. And, and if one of you pick it, you know, 
picks that up and, and uses it in the future, then that was worth the five minute explanation. <laughs> but all right, so we 36 grit, nobody really uses that. 80 grit to 100 grit is where they're going to really sand it down and kind of prepare it for Bondo. Then once you put the Bondo on and you put the body filler and all that, um, it's, it's just basically before you can go up to 120, 150, 180, 220, and around 320 grit. And I'm doing this for a particular reason, so roll with me here. So that's, that's the body filler uh, sort of grit what we're talking about. So that's super low, really, really heavy grit. Then you come up and you say, all right, you put it on there and you want to actually sand the primer and blend everything in to, uh, to when paint, when you're spray painting, you know, when you're uh, painting a car, you, you want it to stick to the paint. And as I'm sure a lot of you do, if you've done your chairs outside or your patios or whatever, you know, you got to grit it up a little bit so that there's adhesion so it can stick. So it's pretty common. So now we're at this other stage where the primer is on the car, right? And, you, you want to blend that area with, you know, if there's clear coat, you know, four or five inches to the left of it, you want it to blend all in there. So what you're going to start with is somewhere around 500 to 1,000 grit, right? So 1,000 grit. I'm, I'm Again, I'm doing this for, there's going to be a punchline at the end here. So 1,000 grit to kind of get adhesion going. All right. Then you spray paint the, you spray paint the car. You paint the car, no spray paint. You body shop paint the car um, and it comes out of the booth. To denib the car, notice we're going up in grit, so that means we're getting less abrasive. So now you, 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 the car comes out, and every once in a while, you have a, a nib. They call it denibbing the car. And one of the big kind of, uh, there's a little bit of a side tangent, but one of the big things about a body shop is when you go in and you look at a body shop um, in the future to have your car done, the cleanliness of the shop uh, is extremely important. Not just like, Hey, when you go into a restaurant and it doesn't look clean or whatever. Yeah. Okay. I, I get that. It's the same kind of idea, but really with a body shop, it's gotta be clean. And the reason why is if there's crap all over the place and things flying around, it's going to stick on your paint and dry. And it's, it's common, but you don't want lots of them. And if you look at your paint and you find this little thing that looks like a little tiny mountain, uh, in your paint, that's called a nip. And a lot of times, you know, that happens and it's pretty common, but the guys take care of it. If you go to a body shop, that's not, uh, you know, reputable or whatever, they'll, they won't see it or they won't sand it or whatever. But to denib a car is about 1500 grit. So remember we were all the way down to 36. Now we're up to 1500 and then the guys will follow up with 2000 or 3000, especially in a dark colored car. And you can go all the way up to 5,000 grit. Now, the reason why I, I sort of mentioned all these things and it, I threw out a lot of information there is just to show you how much stuff is outside the range of what I'm using air quotes here behind the behind the microphone uh, of outside the range of detailing like the common detailer so that's body shop ish but we're gonna we're gonna cross into on the last stage of that body shop when we talked about 2000 or 1500 2000 3000 4000 and 5000 grit that's when you start getting into the outermost regions in my opinion of the car detailing world. That's more in the show car. How do you wet sand and things like that? So I'm just setting the stage for that. So let's move to the next uh, most aggressive one, which is compound. Now, again, this is very broad, but compound is basically liquid sandpaper. Now, back in the days, you used to be able to squirt this out on your fingers and go, you know, kind of like that with your fingers and you could hear or feel the grit. You can't do that anymore because of the technology and the way things have changed and the fact that we're using clear coats and, and things of that. So when a guy puts it between his fingers, you know, a lot of the old school detailers uh, kind of smile a little bit because it, it, it doesn't make any sense. You, you're not going to feel anything anymore. But um, so 
to remove those kind of wet sand marks, specifically two and 3,000 grit, compound is generally the way that you want to do it. And uh, what you would use is, you know, like Mike Phillips would say, hey, use a, a wool or, or, you know, wool pad on a rotary, which I totally agree with. Or you can use a microfiber cutting pad. It's just a matter of speed and, and time. But for argument's sake, compounds are going to be something in the grit of, I'm using this loosely, 800 to about 2,500. That's what I have in my mind as compounds. And the reason why it's hard to speak the same language as everybody else is you can make compounds, you can fluctuate. It's like it's like sitting in front of a soundboard at a studio and you know there's a someone singing behind the glass and one of those kind of things. And there's 8,000 buttons you can push and pull and kind of play um, in a particular range which eat, with each one of these broad categories. So compounds, you can kind of be in the 800-ish and you can kind of be around the 2,000 or 2,500. Um, that's how I sort of think of it. So let's go to the next one. The next one would be polish. Now polish is, in my opinion, removes more of the 3,000-ish grit all the way up to the love marks, which is... Uh, you know, something I use, I talk about a lot, um, and that is, you know, when you when you improperly dry your car, you improperly wipe your car with spray wax, you're not doing the two-swipe method, all these little goofy things, those little love marks add up over time. And in theory, you can get them with polish. Sometimes, you, a lot of the times, I should say, you can't. You got to uh, kind of get a little bit more aggressive and go into the compound marks. But anyways, um, polish is more known for adding depth uh, to the clear coat. So you can level these compound marks out, which is, you know, sort of the whole theory behind, you know, once you, once you compound, you're, you're squashing or what I call leveling out these peaks and valleys, right? Once you level out those peaks and valleys, you, you got to have a little bit of abrasiveness to do that. What that little bit of abrasiveness is abrasiveness is left over after the mountain has been crushed, right? So now it's a flat desert, but you still have a little bit of a little bit of grit in there. Polish comes back in on this flat desert and just cleans up those little marks in the sand, right? And now it's perfectly smooth sand as if like a wave came over and then, you know, the wave goes back into the ocean. It's like perfectly flat sand. You don't see any more footprints. That's kind of the idea with polish, but it also adds a lot of depth and clarity. So some people think, hey, I only, I only have to use polish when I use compound. Well, not necessarily true. You can use compound, like let's say on my car, because I did all these steps. I can go back maybe in a couple of weeks or whatever, right before show, and I'll quickly polish the card, not for its leveling um, capabilities or, or, or attributes, just to bring that depth and pop back out. Is it necessary? No, but I'm also insane. So I want you to know how these all interact. So right now we talked about three of them. Crazy wet sanding, 36 grit, which is like bonkers, like throwing rocks at your cars, basically. Then you have compound, which is its own category. And we have polish, which is its own category. Okay, you're saying, Larry, I get it, no problem. But now we're going to get a little bit more confusing. And this is where, I don't know if I can say, well, whatever. It's it's annoyingly confusing. And I think uh, I think if everybody speaks the same language, uh, things will be a lot easier in the detailing community. But anyways, I digress. Um, so we have glaze. A lot of questions I get about, hey, should I glaze my car? Now, glazing, and again, it's very broad. You can put some abrasive material in glaze or you or not. And most of the time, they put a little bit of grit. So basically take polish and put uh, fillers in it. And that is a broad statement of, how, of what glaze is. So 
off the record glaze glaze is uh, is something that you put on your car to fill in the scratches because you didn't remove them so think of it like makeup you put makeup on you know on your face or whatever because you're trying to hide things that are beneath it as opposed to doing the surgery aka compound um to repair it does that make sense so people say oh you know what glaze do you use what do you care i don't carry glaze and i don't use it because i don't know for me it's either i'm going to restore it and fix it and make it right or i'm it, it's already like perfect and i'm just going to protect it so there's kind of no little in between for me because otherwise it's just you're putting a you're putting a band-aid on a gunshot wound it just i don't know it, it seems like a waste of time you might as well just get the bullet out and you know what i mean go go have the surgery and get it right but um so that's what that's what glaze is about um the other little confusion um you can see you can hear in my voice i'm getting like is cleaner wax now cleaner wax is sort of in the genre of glaze but a lot of times it has more protective qualities i'll say that and again you can push and pull in each one of these things and, and somebody can make a different product that makes what i'm saying false but i'm trying to give you as much broad information as possible and of course the cleaner is going to have a little bit of uh polish maybe a touch touch more aggressive than polish i would probably say because a lot of times um, the manufacturers intend cl intend cleaner wax to be done by hand and if it's going to be done by hand it's got to have a little bit more abrasive power because machines uh you know are more powerful than by hand so if you're using your hand you're going to need it you, you see what i'm saying there's all these little um psychology slash manufacturing 20 years knowledge you know there's all these little things that go into making um, a product that's sellable so cleaner wax is kind of the quick cheap way of rubbing down your car getting a halfway decent shine on it and combining all in one and i think a lot of you who've listened to me in the past know that i think it's a slippery slope when you start combining uh things all in one all in one is is kind of a, a dangerous little thing so i'm not saying and i want to be very specific here i'm not saying that there's anything wrong uh with any of these, uh, obviously, I'm a big proponent of compound and polish because that's that's the lifeblood of restoration, um, and certainly uh, wet sanding. We can talk more about that too. But um, the glazes and cleaner waxes, I personally don't carry because I'm either going to do it or I'm not going to do it. That cleaner wax is kind of the the in between things, which is cool, which is totally fine. I just I'm, I want to be um, very uh, very. Uh, clear with that and there's no and as you can imagine we're not talking about brands certainly not talking about ammo we're not talking about you know chemical guys or adam's polishes by the way i love those guys i'm good friends with adam and dylan they're great people um the chemical guy is really great um great host there he's a, he's a nice guy he's a gentleman sweetheart um so you know the the difference a lot of people say hey what's the difference between this one and what's the difference between that one well a lot of it comes down to brand a lot of it comes down to how things are applied and or are um, you know, I don't just a business flaw. I don't know where we're going off on this tangent here, but you guys know, I speak from the heart. A lot of times is I don't think, um, I don't think someone has to fail for somebody else to win in business specifically. Um, so I'm always a big proponent of, of helping and, and, and I don't know, helping the other, every other company out there. So I never will. And you'll never find me saying anything bad about anybody. Cause I, I truly like, uh, specifically those two guys because they're my friends but there's a lot of great people out there that that do this and i hope um they're just as passionate and wild and crazy as i am but you know adam adam and adam's a good dude so uh anyways so let's move on to the next one I'm trying to find I'm, i get a bunch of questions so i put together on my little list and i try to talk about it but the next 
little category, if you will, um, to clarify is the non-abrasives. And the non-abrasives would be sealants, waxes, and of course, coatings, the new, the new it, the new it thing. So, um, we know right off the bat, and I've said this multiple times, but carnauba wax comes from a palm tree. It's, I think everybody knows that. And it's, uh, it comes from the earth. So it's not synthetic, meaning it's, it's not man, it's not man-made. It's not made in a, uh, uh, you know, in a, in a factory or whatever. It actually comes from protecting the palm trees in South America. Uh, and it's called, uh, it's called, uh, I, Copernixia cerferia. Does that sound really, uh, crazy and sexy, but that's the, that's the crazy term. Just look it up on, uh, on Wikipedia or whatever, but, uh, most of it comes from Brazil. If you hear Brazilian Brazilian wax, and essentially it's 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 a coating that covers these wax because it's crazy hot down there, and um, they need to protect themselves. So essentially, there's a bunch of different various grades. There's grade one, two, three, and four. Number one is the best, and it really comes down to the refining process when when it's harvested and things of that nature. And they come in little pellet and rock or rock forms, and then they get refined down to smoother and smoother things. And they put, you know, petroleum distillates in it, and they put all these. We put all these things in there that make it easy to go on. And then, like like that soundboard, you can push and pull and have it more lubricated, harder to put on. Da, 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 and there's multiple different things. The broad theme is, carnauba wax is not man-made. It's made from Earth, and it has limited. Uh, capabilities because it's made here. It's not, you know, something from Superman or out of space or whatever. It, it, it can only handle so much, but it's, it dries clear, which is really, really cool. And it has this shiny quality, which we all know as when you wax your car, you're waxing it for shine. So, um, that's kind of the cool thing about carnauba wax. So that's that category. Again, I'm not passing judgment. I just want to make sure that we're clear on the different categories. The second one would be synthetic. Uh, sealants or synthetic man-made in a lab um, also called uh, you know they have it called polymer i think sometimes you know people get a little a little crazy with uh, marketing and advertising and calling it you know teflon and all these kind of you know that's that's just not true but uh, polymer is basically a, a chain or a group of uh, smaller units you know bunched together to form a bigger unit called the polymer i mean i i'm not going to pretend i know what that um yeah, I know what that means. My wife is a PhD chemist from Columbia, so um, she is uh, she's the authority on that. So of course I asked her, and she explained it in basically those those layman terms to me. And I'm just relaying the message. But basically, a polymer is a bunch of smaller things put together. And the cool thing is, when you put a big group of those things together, it actually becomes uh, it has these unique physical properties. It has uh, you know extra strength and extra toughness, and it's kind of you know, I'd like to make analogies. I'm sure you guys are laughing or whatever, but, um, <laughs> I I'm visual, I'm extremely visual as you can imagine. And I try to remember things by envisioning pictures. So I see like sealants, which are polymers as being like the big group of herring. I'm sure you guys have seen in, um, in, uh, you know, national geographic or whatever that these, these schools of herring, grouped together and they look like really dark masses in the blue sea and it kind of like supposed to scare you know bigger fish away or whatever but essentially when you put a big group of people big things together um 
you you are you're something better than being alone. I mean, it's not that big of a not that big of a of a leap, but you get you get my gist. So that's what sealants are all about. And I've really spent a large part of my career trying to figure out all that stuff. And more importantly, they they the bottom line is they're more protective, in my opinion, and they don't have that deep, rich, wet look as carnauba. Now the trick here is trying to get those to work together, meaning you want the sealants to work together with the waxes. And I'm sure most of you who, have, who follow me or, or whatever know how I prepare a car and I love putting sealants on, letting it dry, you know, taking it off, blah, 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 and then putting uh, carnauba wax on top of it. Now I, I consider it this, the sealant is like the tuxedo, right? You're going out, you want to look good and the whole nine yards, you put the tuxedo on, right? That's the, that's the man, you look good in that suit but you want to make it a little bit better and put a little flare on it and have it look, you know, and it doesn't take that much like putting on your pants and putting on the jacket and straightening your tie. You want, you want something just quick and easy. Then you put on carnauba wax. I consider carnauba wax like the boutonniere or the flower that you put in your, in your top pocket there where it looks great. It's not going to last forever, but it, it gives you that extra pop. That's how I sort of consider I, or the relationship between the two of them. Now uh, let's jump to coatings. Now coatings are the new age thing that everybody's talking about. But what's funny is they've sort of been around forever, just not introduced. Remember we talked about the microfiber or, uh, you know, microfiber had been around forever, but it really wasn't introduced to the United States. It was, you know, Rubbermaid brought it in from China or Japan or whatever and overseas. So things have been around. We just haven't had our eyes open to it. So coatings have been around forever. Well, not forever, but for a longer time than, than they, you know, they're wild right now with cars. And what they do is... You know, they've been doing it on bridges and walls and things like that, and they're just becoming super hot. Now, what is nanotechnology? Remember, we talked about the sealants and the polymers, and the polymers are made of monomers, which are smaller ones grouped together. Well, coatings are even smaller ones of that, which are called nanotechnology. And just like the sealants before, when you put together a group of of uh, smaller things, it, it, you, it comes out unique properties. That's what's kind of cool about chemistry. You know, you put a bunch of things together that alone, you know, react a certain way. You put them together. I mean, it's like every chemistry class in every high school, but you get what I'm saying. So these nano um, technology, which is even smaller and smaller molecules, you know, forms these coatings. Now, for example, you have ultra hydrophobic coatings. I'm sure you've seen on YouTube or whatever. You have antimicrobial coatings. You have coatings that, um, can tell if you know if food has gone bad. You have coatings like you put on bridges to tell you if there's like stress fractures or I, all these crazy things um, used for very specific things. Obviously, in our world, we're talking about cars. Um, one example of that kind of coating is on the inside of a can. Meaning, when you buy, you know, uh, whatever you buy, a can of peaches or something, and it's one of the the uh, the metal cans. They actually put coatings on the inside of that so that the whatever's in there, you know, the juice from the peaches or whatever I said, doesn't, doesn't penetrate the can. And then, you know, the metal, uh, doesn't mix with the metal. So when you're eating the peach, you're like, holy crap, it tastes like metal. They, they do that. So it's been around forever is what I'm trying to say. So with cars, we have a thing called, you know, nano resins, which basically this, that's the thing that forms the coating or the film on top of the surface. It's more like, uh, you know, it's called the what they call the binder. So they, they put they basically mix all these really super tiny molecules together to get advantageous reactions from it. One could be, like I said, antimicrobial. One can be, 
you know, did the food go bad? I don't even know what that's called. One's hydrophobic, but in our world, it's more like epoxy based and more resin based. And a lot of these come from, um, the refinement of crude oil. And there's also, uh, another little faction where you take seeds and beans and you process them or you extract them by squashing them, obviously, and, and getting out, you know, the, the specific minerals and et cetera, et cetera. And you form them into, into a coating. So I've been working with coatings for a long time. And here's, here's the honest truth. Um, they're really great at, uh, having properties that are, uh, stronger to, for chemical resistance, which I love. Uh, I'm not totally convinced that they're, uh, the best for shine, but I do agree that they're, they're really good. And that a lot of people say, Hey, do you have a coating? Do you have a coating? Here's the thing. I, I've been working on one forever and you guys know I'm just a huge nerd and I, the idea is that they work together. These these things have to work together, in my humble opinion, and they have to be part of the layers of protection. And I I have one that's really strong and it's really great, and it might be a good standalone product. And I'm sure it would it would you know do well or whatever. Because you guys know I'm not like Mr. Sales guy or whatever. But I just I can't in good faith come out with it because I, it doesn't do exactly what I want, which is to work as a team. Now think of it this way. I played a lot of sports in, in college and high school. And I was a big hockey player in, in, in the whole thing. And, you know, one of the things I was taught, and, and it really did come true as you start playing higher level sports, you can see these little nuances that these coaches teach you, um, you know, come to fruition and be like, oh, wow, I can't believe that that's actually happening. Because obviously as you get bigger and stronger and these guys get better and better, um, the little things, you know, is what separates, you know, when you're playing a sport, I don't know where I'm going with this, but when you're playing a sport, it's not the team that, that has the most good chances that wins. I'm sure that is the case in most, but it's more like the team that makes the most mistakes is the one uh, that loses. And when you get to that level, like they're so good, they're so good, they're so good. And somebody makes a tiny little mistake. That's when you capitalize on it. And that's what separates really good sports teams versus another. But the point I'm trying to make is, um, you know, there's been some really good sports teams out there where you just stack it, right? You put, you put all these amazing players together that by themselves are fantastic players. And a lot of them come with psychological issues and whatever, but they don't work together. So let's just say that they don't work with each other because, you know, you know, one, one is competing with the other one with inside its own team. So for example, remember the 1980s, this is another hockey thing. Again, I'm, I'm apologizing, but this is where my brain is going. Uh, the 1980s, the miracle on ice, you know, the United States team wasn't on paper, a better team than the Russians. And the Russians had a lot of superstars that were individually really good players. But for some reason, the United States won because they worked as a team. So anyways, the point I'm trying to make is it'd be awesome to come out with a coding. I, I think I'm right there with it, but it's got to work with the other layers of protection or um, it's just, it's not going to work for me at all. I did it, So that's why, that's why I hesitate to just come out with something because I want to come out with something. Cause you guys remember I'm a detailer. I'm not a sales guy or whatever. It's it, it, whatever. So my, my focus is once I figure out, you know, the greatest protection, which I feel like I have, and we're calling it foundation, meaning it goes on the car once or twice a year. And this is one of my biggest pet peeves, by the way, I'm going off on another, it's a huge hurdle that if you, if you've stayed, what is it now? 34 minutes or whatever we're on. Um, if you stayed and listened Here's one of my big, my big things as a, as a car guy. And a lot of times I get the questions at the car shows, what's the product that you put on your car? 
it doesn't work like that. It doesn't, it's not a one size and, you know, set it and forget it and put one thing on your car. It doesn't, I'm sorry. It would be great if that was the case, but it's not. So when you put, if you think you're going to go buy a product for X amount of dollars and put it on your car and you're not going to have to think about it, you're going to be uh, sadly disappointed because it's not, it's not going to work um, or thoroughly disappointed. So you have to think of things as a workout or um, think of it as a less of a miracle and more of a regimen. And I know that's my word or whatever, but you're creating a team of things and I'm trying to create a coding that's called foundation. You put it on once or twice a year based on, you know, if you have to restore it or if you get hit or whatever, but assuming all the horrible things don't happen and you have your car and it's maintained properly, you put it on once or twice a year, but there's a massive, but you have to put on, you know, uh, skin on top of or, or a sealant. You don't have to put my stuff on. You know what I'm talking about. You have to put the sealant on top of it. And then if you want to be really sexy, like you're going to a car show, whatever, it takes 10, 15 minutes. Then you put Carnuba wax on top of it. So you're just adding these layers of protection on that underneath protect the clear coat. Now, the again, the wax, really sexy, really great. The sealant, super strong, really protective, is going to take the brunt of the day-to-day driving. And then, God forbid, anything gets through all of those things, meaning like bird poo or acid rain or drops or all these random things that happen to us, it's going to come into contact with the coating. And the coating has that extra protection where, remember we talked about the nano stuff, one of the unique capabilities of this nanoparticles, meaning the super small molecules, when you put the team together, they they create this bigger thing like I've been yapping about forever. One of the cool things is it protects against crazy chemicals that let's say sealants and, and, and waxes particularly are just not going to be able to fight. So you have three layers of this amazing protection. So anyways, that's been my, that's been my goal for the last little while. And I've been working my butt off to, to make that happen. And I have two of the, of the layers that are really, really great, but like anything else, it's not just like, Hey, we created, you know, one product. Let's go sit on our butt and enjoy it. You got to you know, once one product comes out, you take it down again, you rip it apart and you figure out why it's not, uh, how it could be better is a great way of term of wording it. And then, uh, and then you keep going. So anyways, that's sort of my philosophy. I don't know where the heck I was going with all that stuff, but, um, when I get off on these tangents, I'm just really passionate about making sure the point comes across. Cause I just, I don't know. I want everybody to understand what's rolling around in my crazy brain and, and how I've gotten these cars to look a certain way. And it's not one and done. It's not miracle stuff. It's 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 actually pretty basic, but it's sometimes hard to explain to people because it's much easier to to pretend like there's a miracle here or a miracle that, or LeBron James is just gifted or whatever. But you don't see that he just probably works his butt off all day long shooting free throws and doing all the exercises or whatever. It's all the behind the scenes that people don't, I think, subconsciously want to know. Anyways, um, that's a lot of heavy info. Uh, so that that's basically the categories. There's no right or wrong answer. I just want to kind of hedge my hedge myself a little bit because I do get a lot of you know, hey, should I use glaze or should I use compound? And I go like, oh geez, you know, we're not we're missing the you know, we're missing the point here. Those are two different things. So I hope hope we got through uh, you know a lot of that. Uh, we're gonna take a break from this massive nerd session of 38 minutes. Now my goal was to try to keep these things within a half an hour. Uh, it's not gonna happen because we're gonna talk to. Uh, Coming up next is Mike Spinelli, and he's the man, and we're going to learn a whole ton of stuff. And honestly, I, you know, if the if the podcast goes thirty minutes, great. If it goes two hours, that's fine. In my book, it's as long as it's uh, entertaining and 
I shouldn't even say that. It's more educational uh, and it has some entertainment value and hopefully you guys stick with it. Um, but uh, I don't know. I was trying to trying to be really rigid about the time and I probably should be, but I'm having too much fun and I'm, I'm hoping you guys are, are doing that. So let's uh, let's blast over to Mike Spinelli and see what he's up to. And I know he's got a ton to, ton to say and he's a, he's a super smart guy. So let's, uh, let's shift over to him. Mike, you there? Hey, I am here. All right. I'm glad this thing is working. Uh, thanks for spending some time with us. We are, uh, this is a well-deserved break from the intense discussion. Hopefully you're going to hear once you uh, download the podcast about product confusion. I know that sounds uh, fun, but we basically talk about the difference between compounds and polishes and all that really exciting. <laughs> yeah. So um, now, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, Mike and I met up at Caffeine and Carburetors in Connecticut this weekend. Basically, we're shooting the bowl a little bit here and there, but I left the conversation wanting to know a little bit more about how you got started in the industry, you know, of course, Jalopnik and all the various things you do with the Drive Channel and basically what you're up to today. So give us a little insight. Cool. Well, when we were when we last spoke, I um, I think we were talking about how Jalopnik got started. So I I mean, the quick story is that I was in I spent a lot of years in market research uh, in the old dot com thing. I mean, the old dot com thing was you know, pets.com and patio furniture.com, you know, like that whole thing where I uh, started out in the market research business back in, God, like mid 90s. And um, it slowly drove me crazy. So that's, <laughs> so <laughs> I can imagine. But yeah, but it was good. The good part of that is that I met all the people that I would eventually work for um, at Jalopnik when. I finally lost it completely, and I. This was after the dot com crash. I ended up at uh, doing market research for IBM, and it was just the most Dilbert, ridiculous Dilbert job um, I ever thought I might ever end up having. Um, so when I found out that Gawker Media wanted to start a car site, um, I just sent them an email. I was like, "Please!" It was just a lifeline, and. Um, and to kind of my surprise, I mean, I knew those guys a little bit from the dot-com days. And they just said, um, yeah, here, here are the keys. We can't find anybody else in New York who knows a damn thing about cars. <laughs> so <laughs> here, go and write some stuff. And um, I, it was boot camp. And I just started writing 12 posts a day from day one. That was 04. And Jalopnik is part of – explain that whole thing because I was like, wait a second. Yeah. I didn't realize that it's, there's multiple channels or whatever. Right. So Gawker Media is a company founded by a guy named Nick Denton who uh, – his background was financial journalism. And he ended up um, – he did some software development stuff and um, eventually started a site called Gawker. And Gawker was kind of a snarky take on New York media, so not exactly – kind of car guy friendly stuff I mean, but i mean if you were into new, the new york media scene it was you know it was like kind of a must read um and then i don't know the timeline but he started gizmodo also so gizmodo became the kind of one of the two big that's uh, huge gadget sites gigantic yeah exactly yeah um and um so those two sites kind of started blowing up um the you know i'm sort of shortening this uh, quite a bit because a lot of stuff happened, but eventually they wanted to get more male viewers because, or male readers, uh, because, you know, men buy a lot of stuff. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> advertisers love you know the 18 to 35 year old men male you, you just cut right through that i love it because men buy stuff <laughs> exactly sugarcoat that yeah no there's no there's no doubt i mean 18 to 35 and the amount of crap that that i bought i mean who even remembers you know stuff that i i, I mean I, I still even have somewhere one of those um tilt boards those skateboard tilt boards <laughs> like the practice skateboard things it's like yeah okay i I almost cracked my head on the TV. You know, I was just in, in my apartment doing the, my tilt board. <laughs> it's I, worked out well for you. But I, I get your point. So Jalopnik right. came, came alive to... So Jalopnik came alive as because they, wanted, they started a car site. They started a, a, a video game site called Kotaku. And a, a, uh, I think back then it was Deadspin, I think, was just getting started. So an, another really well-known sports site that they, they created. So... I they sort of threw us all into the you know you know into kind of just threw us into the ocean and said here swim. So we swam and I swam you know I was still and I, this is I was still I hadn't quit my job yet. I was still working at in for IBM or as a you know core supplier for IBM. It seems like most people these days in the car world it's like this circular weird path to getting into the car. I think JF has the same sort of random like you were with IBM, I think JF was doing something with bridges or planes or whatever, and then yes. like moonlighting as a car guru, or it's it's really crazy. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's interesting because we were there. I mean, I can't imagine if I wasn't there at that time that this would have happened. I would have ended up changing my whole career on it. But really, before the internet, there was only one way into writing about cars, and that was getting a job at a magazine or getting some kind of newspaper gig, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we all grew up reading car magazines and wondering how do you become, you know, Egan, right? How do you become, you know, John Davis or, or John, John, uh, Jamie Kitman and Kittman. all these guys, and, yeah. Yeah, who am I forgetting? I'm forgetting everybody, basically, or, you know, David D. Davis and Bedard and all those guys. How do you become. You know, and, and there was no path to it. I was a journalism major, but I didn't really become a writer because the dot-com thing kind of intervened and um, got to do some writing in there. But uh, other than that, I mean, I didn't – I never thought about being an automotive journalist at all. Or I don't even call myself an automotive journalist. I, I would never have thought about writing about cars as a profession. But all of a sudden, you know, it's like the blog thing opened up and there was this huge demand for people – you look – for car information and stuff. And so we kind of invented as we went along how to report the day's news because every day there was new car stuff coming out, right? Mm, yeah. A lot of it was PR. Like somehow, I guess, getting on the PR list. And we talked a little bit at um, Cars and Coffee or Carb Carbs and Carbs. <laughs> caffeine and Carb. You know, I had to look it up. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I had to look up the name because there's there's caffeine and carburetors. There's cars and coffee. There's Sunday morning cars, coffee. It's like just five. I can. So, yeah. Yeah. It's like how many variations of a coffee drink and uh, a car stuff. And it should be it should be cars early in the morning in a parking lot. That's what they should call that. <laughs> but anyways. So, yeah. So um, all of a sudden we had all of this. It, it's sort of like the 24 hour news explosion on cable like all of a sudden you've got to fill an entire day with car information mm -hmm. how do you do that right i mean in the beginning getting onto pr or the public relations automakers pub pr people's lists of getting that information getting those press releases was kind of dicey because you call up and you go yeah i'm from 
Jalopnik.com. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, a web, it's a website on the internet. You know, <laughs> not really legitimized at that point. Right, and you know, and and not to not to bag on Detroit, but I mean, we're talking about people who are still using you know IBM Selectric typewriters. Almost, I mean, it wasn't really that bad, but like definitely two eighty sixes in a lot of cases. Um, or uh, all right, or maybe three eighty sixes with uh, you know whatever Microsoft Word for MS DOS or whatever they're using. But and, so. You know, and so convincing them that we were legitimate and that – but still keeping the edge that people who read – who read at that time blogs on the internet wanted. I mean they, they didn't want the same old kind of writing or at least I thought they didn't. <laughs> I was hoping that they didn't because I didn't want to write like that. So um, Yeah, that's where I think you guys have really excelled is – you know, we were talking about it last week. It's not the zero to 60. This is how this is. It, you guys have more of the editorial, I feel like, when I'm reading it. More of a, uh, there's more personality behind the writing, which I think was lacking at the time. That's why, in my opinion, you guys exploded around yeah. that sort of concept, I think, maybe. Yeah, and that's what we were really trying to do because I don't think a lot of people of a certain age were reading uh, automotive fan forums. Fan forums, there was all kinds of cool stuff going on. I mean, like, this is, I, I you know, some of these guys were really funny. And, um, you know, I I read those forums and said, wow, these guys should be pro writers. And, you know, I, um, I tried to kind of, you know, link to their good threads. And this was a kind of novel concept, I think, that I, I just thought it was a natural, but... I don't think a lot of people really got that what I was doing, where we would link to really good threads that were happening on on the fan forums, because some of those threads are great. I mean, that's like I was that's sort of to me that's kind of like the new journalism, where you know people are kind of crowdsourcing the the fact checking and the writing and everything, and it's kind of there's and they're really snarky. I mean, not to I, I and that's not my favorite word, but I, I it just works, but snark they're you know snarking away in there and the information is great and a lot of these guys are experts right where you know you've got a guy who's built two or three you know bmw s14 or what's the yeah i, I you know this is the alphabet soup i was talking about <laughs> I, a, I don't know if i was talking to you about it but you know i don't have a head for engine codes right so like i'm always forgetting that stuff so that's why i became a writer and not a a, 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 a wrench well, a wrench and a, a video guy, but that we'll talk about that in a second. So I've had to learn that stuff later. But um, so I took a lot of that stuff and realized that this is really good information, and so I wanted to get that out there in a way that it became news. So and and, and also it's another thing to put up, you know, during the day when you got to come up with twelve things happening during the day. And this was back when it was just us, and I think Autoblog had started, and I think um, like. Um, Auto Spies, I think, was the third one. Yeah, they were they were pretty big back yeah. in the day. So I, I love the concept of basically, you know, going into these forums, figuring out how to pull out the really good information and then post it up. Because if you think about it, like I go on forums every once in a while. I don't really um, talk a whole lot on forums because I try to avoid that snarkiness. But um, there are good nuggets of information in there if, if you sort of read between the lines. And I love how you guys somehow culled through all that information, grabbed the best stuff, and put it up there so that it's easy to read. I mean, is that the short version of, of what you're... 
Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty much, I mean, you know, we would link right to them so you could actually read the whole thing, but we would kind of summarize what was happening. And then once, you know, it's funny, it's sort of like the early adopters were the young people in the auto industry that were savvy enough to be online all day, right? And and as they moved up through the ranks in public relations and in marketing and in, you know, product development and product uh, management jobs, these are, this is why we became the mainstream and it's kind of those guys were our early audience. And then they, when they became, you know, managers, they just, they knew who we were. And so they would send us the press releases. We were on the press list so that we were legitimized by following them up through their careers a little bit. So that was kind of cool because they had been reading the forums. And then when we started summarizing that and, and, and also adding um, other stories that we were getting, or we were, you know, curating from other sites or whatever we were doing, um, it really became kind of cool to see these guys become our contacts and our our uh, sources at companies that they were their careers were moving up in. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, it seems like you know a lot of companies or people or young people getting into the sort of working world. You you come from you don't really you know what you're doing. You know you're really passionate. You try to break in, and this is with any business, I think. And then as you become more legitimized. You know, the the next guy sees that the first guy gave you the respect or legitimacy, and then the third guy sees the second, and it just builds and builds and builds, and then eventually you get to that status where everybody knows, you know, what Jalopnik is, and you guys nowadays, I'm sure you get cars, you know, the next little step. I, I always thought I was talking to Farah and all these other guys, and like, so how do you get cars and how do you do that? Well, you got to get legitimized. Well, how do you get legitimized? Well, nobody wants to answer your phone calls and things like that. So I can see the progression of of how it works in this world. Cause a lot of times they come up and say, Hey, how did you, how did you get on the drive channel? How did you do that? How did you do this? And it's really kind of, you know, scratching away and clawing away at getting legitimate. And as that flows in, it just seems to open the doors. And as the doors open, the floodgates come and um, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's, it, that's exactly it. But also we were there so early. So we were really, really lucky in that there wasn't a lot of other, there weren't a lot of other, outlets that had an address that you know and a, sh- and a real shingle laid out you know what i mean mm, like yeah like we were a publishing company and we sort of had an advertising department it wasn't just me and so like, like a lot of these guys that started really from scratch i mean those guys really deserve a lot of credit uh, yeah you, you had a bit of muscle you, behind you to yeah oh. i mean that, that that's the thing it's like the guys who who really um you know started from zero um really had it harder um, yeah, but they've a lot of them have come up too. I, you know, so that that helped out a lot. The other thing um, with that is that getting cars, I hired a guy named Robert Farrago to write for us back then, and he had been a uh, a a, um, a syndicated columnist, car columnist, and he just didn't like that world anymore because it had become kind of a you know, it's kind of an insulated boys club a little bit, you know, and, and this is sort of how the print industry has had to change. I mean, it was really not a um, a really a, a place where you could write freely about cars uh, without getting, you know, ha- having an ad. A pushback or something like that. Somebody pushback, forget about it. Yeah, exactly. Huge yeah. pushback on anything outside the norm that you wanted to do. All of a sudden, cars didn't show up anymore, type of thing, or you well, were invited no. to. Well, he, so he, this is the thing is like, he, I, I didn't even think about 
dealing with any of that stuff. I, I wanted to stay on the sidelines. I didn't want to have to even deal with PR people in the beginning because I didn't, I just wanted to be on the outside and having the freedom to write anything and not have any, anybody telling us what to do. And the thing about Farago is he was already in there and he still wanted to do that. He wanted to have his freedom, but he had the connections to get those cars. So we had him writing our early reviews because he was on that list of PR people who are that list of journalists who would get a rotation of cars every week. So he got cars and he wrote about them and eventually he started his own site, which was uh, the truth about cars. Um, it's still there. It's changed hands a couple of times, but that's, so I didn't really have to do all that, um, that kind of begging for cars thing that a lot of guys have to, had to do after that. I sort of, he helped out and then I got on the list and it was sort of, there were very few sites back then. And then adding to the fact that we had an actual masthead with a publisher on it helped out too. So yeah, once you, once you get the gold star, you're sort of in the club. You don't have to go back unless you make a massive, you know, catastrophic mistake, which, you know, whatever. So talking about Jalopnik, I have to ask, where did this wild ins- – I don't even know how to describe the name. Where did this come from and, and, and who created it? So Jalopnik is a, a strange story. I, we, back in the day when uh, Gawker was getting ramped up and, and building more sites, the, their theory or their the, the, the way that they saw the blog world back then was that they wanted every site to represent one person or a person doing something, doing an action. So um, Gizmodo had already been – developed but um and maybe that i you know i actually don't know the story behind that one but there was a site called you know obviously gawker is someone who gawks there was a site called defamer that was like gawker for hollywood uh hollywood gossip and stuff and they were called defamer um and then kotaku which is the video game site is japanese um sort of it's like a gamer in in japanese um so we had to come up with a name that represented a person and then also signified cars in some way. So, you know, basically it's the same old story, you know, a bottle of this, a bottle of that. <laughs> Sitting around at like midnight, sort of throwing around refrigerator magnets of, you know, the, the, of words and stuff. And just writing stuff and just kind of going, all right, well, what? is okay pistons and piston people you know or piston guy you know it's like like every <laughs> stupid thing it's like all right no there already is a piston heads right because piston heads had had come out too um all right like we went through every possibility that we could think of and every one of them was either trite or stupid or and, i mean as if jalopnik was better but so eventually somebody said i think i said jalopy or i know somebody said jalopy and i think i said beatnik and then I think I, you know what? I hope it was not me, but I think it might have been me. Said Jalopnik, and we laughed like, yeah, right, yeah, right, right. So I, That's... I laughed like you're right, and I, and I, and I, I turned around, and Nick had Nick had already registered it. <laughs> he registered the domain in like two seconds. I'm like, I think the instant you start laughing is when you found gold. Yeah, and I guess the laugh meant we found gold, right? So. I, so I was mortified, though, because he had registered it. And I said, Nick, there's no way. There's no way I'm going to write for a site called Jalopnik. There's no way I'm going to call up an automaker and say, 
Um, I'm from Jalopnik.com. Uh, <laughs> J-A-L-O. It's J. No, J isn't Jim. You know, like. So, yeah. And I was mortified. And I, I went home and I was like, what the hell did I get myself into? And the, re- the rest is history, apparently. Well, I emailed Nick the next day and I was like, dude, I can't do this. And he was like, no, of course you can, because that is an amazing name. And I said, God, all right. And then I said, well, look, if I'm going to have to do a site called Jalopnik, I'm going to make it work. And it's, it was sort of like it, it forced me to work harder at making it work because I, I was, I, you know, it wasn't a name that I uh, I wanted it to be, but I figured, well, screw it. You know, I'm just going to make it, make it happen. So now Jalopnik is going, going huge in the whole thing. And eventually you, you know, get a spot on the Drive channel. How did that come to be because that's how you and i i mean we knew each other in the past because yeah. obviously i read articles and we were both new yorkers whatever but obviously we we sort of really came um to bump into each other literally at uh at the drive channel sort of meetings and, and all the things that we do behind the scenes there so how did that come to fruition for you so okay so now i stayed at jalopnik till about 07 and then i left because i wanted to get back to print because i had always you know i, I the thing about the the daily grind of 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 writing back then where we didn't really have a lot of people was it was tough. I mean, we were, I was just, it was boot camp every day. It was, I was writing 12 to 18 posts, hundred words each. And I, I just burned myself out so bad. That's brutal. Yeah, That's brutal. It was seriously brutal. And the good thing, again, this is another benefit of right place, right time is that I was there in New York writing about cars when every magazine had an, a backlog of advertisers who wanted to be up against car content. Every magazine, every lifestyle magazine wanted car content. And they were like, hey, I've heard of this site, Jalopnik, because it's a weird name, and I know <clears throat> this media connection that, that that Gawker had. So let me call this guy. So I started, I, and, and honestly, like, I'm the luckiest guy in, in the journalism world in that way because the, my phone just started ringing. So I started writing for Wired, and then I wrote something for Outside Magazine. I was like, wow, Outside, really? I mean, so I, and I ended up writing a few things for them. Um, and, and then, you know, I, the phone just started ringing. And, I, and then Eddie Alterman, who's uh, now the editor-in-chief of Car and Driver, was doing a magazine back then called MPH, which was actually it was a great magazine. It was probably a forerunner to what Road and Track is kind of doing now, but a little bit different. And um, I started writing advertorials for them. And so I was on my own. I, and so I, had, I said, all right, that's it. I left Jalopnik at, in 07 just to kind of rest and do some print stuff and be on a better schedule, you know, like a schedule like, oh, wow, I don't have to have this done for two weeks. You know, meanwhile, print journalists would be like, no, screw that. And, and for me, it was like like they gave me a year. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, as opposed to like 12 articles every, you know. Six hours or whatever oh, yeah. you guys, that's it craziness. Was, it was insane. So anyway, so I s- started doing that, and that was that kind of um, kept me going for a while. And then my friend uh, Brian Scotto uh, started started a magazine called Zero to 60. Oh, my favorite magazine. Yeah, that was fun. That was the most fun I think I've ever had at a job other than um, – I'm drive is fun, of course, but um, <laughs> way to save your ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fun, man. No, but uh, honestly, like that—that that was like the magazine I had always wanted to work for, and every other magazine at the time had, to me, collapsed into a heap of, you know, 
of crap, really. I mean, I didn't. There wasn't a single car magazine that I that I read at that point. Um, and so working for Zero to Sixty was great because we got to do all the articles we always wanted to do street about street racing, or you know, we would, you know, do. You know, I ended up doing stories about you know kids on Rumspringa in the Amish, you know, community. It was more like cultural stuff. Yeah, that it was I, a lot it, of. That's my, you know, that's my real favorite stuff to write is the cultural stuff. And, and, and I, you know, I love cars, but I, I really, I like the stories better than, than the numbers of, of stuff. So, I mean, that's where you and I agree. I, I can't remember. I might, I just don't have the brain for that where it's like this one in 1972 had 659. It's like, I, my brain goes like, uh, I can't remember any of that stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I can't eat. And, you know, I mean, I, I started out in the muscle car world. I mean, I started out, you know, with you know, small block V8s and, and anything other than that, I really had to learn secondhand. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, all, all the other stuff I, I had to come by just by, you know, and I still don't retain, you know, a lot of that stuff. Like Matt Farah, we were talking about this. Farah remembers everything. Like He's an encyclopedia. It's brain. frightening. Um. So anyway, yeah. So I, I was there for a while. And while I was there, um, um, a company had started another startup, uh, called Next New Networks. It was a video startup. Um, it was a company started by a bunch of cable executives. And what they wanted to do was create online video programming in different segments um, and produce it in-house. And one of the, one of the uh, uh, segments that they were doing was automotive. So they needed a kind of a creative director to manage the kind of automotive department. And, they, and honestly, like I'd been through the startup thing a couple of times in the dot com world, and I was excited, but tentatively because the plans were like to do a hundred different automotive titles like within a year, you know. And I was like, uh, okay, this is kind yeah. of crazy. It's a lot. It was a lot. But then at the same time, YouTube starts getting its, you know, its. Uh, sort of its powers on i mean it was really that's when youtube just exploded so it kind of eliminated their business plan so what happened originally that they, they wanted to become a they, they came up with this idea of super distribution so they would produce a video and then have it distributed on sites you know kind of pitch them all to uh other blogs and other websites and kind of through that piece together an audience as large as a cable audience, right? So that was the whole idea of super distribution. And then also beyond, you know, at the time, there were a ton of different little video sites, right? Vimeo had just started and there was like Odeo and Schmodio. I, I don't even remember. They're all gone. <laughs> like, I don't even remember what happened to those guys. But so, so by producing them in-house, we were going to then push them out to blogs that needed content and then we would put together by tracking it with whatever we used um we would then um be able to put together an audience that rivaled the cable audience that didn't really work because all of a sudden youtube took over and became the number one video outlet for everything so they had to change their business model and uh subsequently they were bought by youtube but in the meantime that's where i met JF, right? Because JF was, I, or actually, I met JF first because he was he had been working for Alex Roy when Alex did his cross country run. That's right. That's right. I remember that now. Yeah, 
So that was the first time I met JF. And then all he was a kid, and he was like a kid, but he was, you know, really bright and he had he was um very organized and he had like Alex's sp- uh, spreadsheets of amazing amount of detail in the way that they were going to get across quickly. Um so I knew him as, you know, this this enormously organized um engineering student from um that the college in Hoboken. It was just Stevens. So all of a sudden I run to JF again because he's we're, we're now working for the same company. He was hired at uh, Next New Networks also. So we had created a show called Fast Lane Daily. Um, it was a really difficult show to do because I had to sort of throw the script together every day. Um, it's still there. It's actually sort of part of Drive now. Um, but um, that's where I also met Matt Farron. So Matt started doing a show called Garage 419. And that's where I realized that Matt is kind of a natural at this stuff, right? Um, no doubt about it. Because yeah. at the time, him and I owned a car wash together. Yes. I and I, and I, I go, when I Google searched, I was, you know, I had some time. And I was Google searching your name and finding all these things out. Um, I looked in one of the Google images is Matt and you. Remember the side-by-side? That, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that was like revolutionary back then. So Matt's sitting there. And behind him is our car wash. And you can almost see my head like sticking out, like waving in the background like, hey. <laughs> You know, so, you know, back in that particular time, you know, Matt and I were running that and then you could just see that he was, I mean, he just was on, he just, it was the camera. I don't even know how to say it. They just, yeah. there was no difference between him being on camera versus off camera. There was literally zero difference. Oh yeah. So we knew that he was destined for LA. So that's when, um, <laughs> you know, we both went different directions, but that's how I, I guess I'm not even talking to you. I'm talking to the, to the listeners. You know, I, that's how I met JF and and uh, Alex Roy, and then of course you. And then that that's how that whole because a lot of times people are like, man, where did the drive channel come from? It wasn't it wasn't just like, hey, we're gonna start this channel. Let's go find people. It was all kind of a brotherhood in house of you know five or six or eight years or whatever it was. Yeah. Of oh, knowing yeah. each other beforehand. So this was like. This was around 08, I guess, right? I mean, around that that time. So, I mean, yeah, exactly. it's been a while. It's been a while that we've been sort of putting this together. Um, yeah, and so Matt, yeah, that's the thing about Matt is like he would walk, the red light would go on and he was like, yeah, what? Like, it was the same same guy. I, know. I was like, do you have any notes? He's like, no, I, I don't know. Just turn it on. Let's do this. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> So, All right, so so drive is going well. Now you have your your after drive, and of course uh, drive central that's yeah coming out to uh... well. So so my um my piece of this thing is um so I I so JF called me up and he was like, hey, do you want to uh, do a show for Jalopnik? And I had come back and started working for Jalopnik again when Zero to Sixty crashed, and um so um I so my the, so JF and, and uh, or uh, I don't, this is sort of weird how this happened because I had hired a guy named Ray Wirt, right? You know who Ray Wirt is. I'm well aware of Ray yes. Wirt. It's so crazy that you hired him. Yeah, it's really weird. So so Ray Wirt was my – I hired him as the Detroit editor at Jalopnik back in – God, I mean, who even knows what year it was, 06, 05, whatever. <clears throat> and so when Zero to 60 burned – Ray uh, Ray had become the uh, editor in chief of Jalopnik, so he I saw him at the uh, Los Angeles Auto Show that year, and I was like, "Dude, this sucks!" You know, zero sixty crash, and I'm like, "I'm 
like the economy crashed, right? And I'm like, I'm, what the hell am I going to do? And yeah. so, well, why don't you come back and work for Jalopnik? I was like, ah, I don't know if I could come back. You know, I don't know if we could, could do that. So anyway, I, he he hired me back up, and I was like, okay, this is great. Um, I got the the tone and stuff, and he was he was let me write whatever I wanted. So that was really fun. Anyway, so eventually he said, hey, you know, I just had a interesting conversation with these guys who are starting this thing called Drive. And he, he knew, we all knew JF, and there was a guy named Emil Rensing, who was uh, one of the principals of Drive also. And I had, and, and he said, hey, do you want to go and work with those guys and do a Jalopnik show? So I said, yeah. And I, <laughs> so I was like, yeah, that'll be, that'll be cool. I'd always wanted to do that, like kind of take some of the, you know, the Jalopnik stuff and turn it into a show. And um, so I did, and we end, I ended up working mostly at Drive and creating a show called Jalopnik on Drive. And we did some really good episodes. Um, it's mostly we took some of the big stories from Jalopnik and went, revisited them and found the people and did broader things about it. Um, yeah, that and, was super cool. And yeah. then you did uh, then you did what? The Drive Central, which is like a recap of what's going on Drive? Yeah, so, right. So then we said, well, I guess we need a show. And so this is where, all right, this is where now I have to come on camera, right? So this is where, like, like I am not in my comfort zone anymore. Yeah. So JF is like, well, since you're working here, I think it would be a good idea if you did some on-camera stuff. And I'm like, God, no, really. Like, I, I'm the opposite of Farrah. So I was like, all right, well, let's just start out. I'll do this show called um, Drive Central. And um, we'll just say what's coming up for the week because, we, you know, we're trying to work on the drive as a sort of network model that was, you know, here's what's coming up this week. By the way, your awkwardness on camera is amazing Dude, in Drive Central. It, it worked for you. It was a, you were a rock star. It, you, it was almost like you were trying to do it. You were, you're gifted, I have to tell you. It was great watching you. It was I like hope, dry humor. I hope that, that the, world's, uh, awkward, the world's awkward citizens can take uh, heart in my, uh, my success here. But um, no, honestly, I'm, I, I look at myself on camera and I go, God, I just shoot me. You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> but I do, I mean, but it's, but whatever, I don't care. Like I, I, I need to do it. <clears throat> Everybody has to do video now. So I'm just going to do it and you guys can flame me all you want. It's fine. I don't care. It's fine. Yeah, I don't think people, I mean, we talked about this with, with Musto. I don't think people understand how much pressure it is just to have, because behind the camera, there's usually what? four or five, and you know how many people I have on my stuff, six, seven, eight, ten people behind you or, you know, behind the camera staring at you. Yeah. And it's like you make a mistake, everything's got to start all over. It, it's a lot of pressure, so I don't know. Well, I think I think you're doing a good job. Well, I appreciate it. But so we, we started a show back then called Road Testament, which was, um, you know, sort of our talk show. Now, the good thing about these shows is that they're cheap and they get the audience talking. So even if you're, you know, even if you're kind of, um, talking about how much I suck, you're still talking, you know? So that's the whole, kind of the whole point. Yeah. Um, hopefully that you're eventually like, you know, a few shows in you guys, you know, or at least the viewers stopped talking about how much I suck so much. So then, <laughs> then all of a sudden they started talking about um, what the topic was. So that was kind of cool. Cause that was like a, a milestone. It was like, yeah, now you guys are talk cause, cause we're on YouTube exclusively and YouTube comments, um, have been a cesspool for a really long time. And I think what YouTube really wants to do is cultivate shows that can create dialogue in the comments that doesn't devolve always into, you know, just a screw job. Yeah. So, no. so we're, you know, we're, I mean, I'm still awkward, but, um, I think, um, 
think I'm getting a little better at it. And well, no, I think that's your thing. Embrace <laughs> it, my man. Embrace it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So before I let you go, I was doing my uh, my crazy Google search, and I came up with uh, SaveTheEnzos.com. What are you doing with this thing? <laughs> so the story behind Save the Enzos was um, back when um, we, we were going to do some T-shirts for Jalopnik. We were like, what the hell are we going to do? Um, so there, the, the, um, that was back when Eddie, what was his name? Eddie Griffin crashed the Enzo. Oh yeah. I I have that burned in my memory. Right. But the first Enzo crash was the Swedish mafia guy, um, who crashed on public, on, uh, on PCH and on Pacific coast highway. Do you remember that story? Um, what was his name? But he crashed an Enzo. Um, and that was our the first big story that we, Ed Jalopnik ever had because somebody who was in traffic on PCH when, you know, there was just this wheel in the road. I and mean, the guy luckily survived. And there was another guy that he said was with him named Dietrich. It was this ridiculous story. And he had been a – this guy had been a um, video game developer, video game console developer that said he was connected with the Swedish mafia. Who I don't even know. I didn't know there was a Swedish mafia. It's a great story. It's an amazing story. <laughs> So that that's the that Enzo story ended up becoming the biggest story that Jalopnik had had up to that point, and it was one of our our uh, readers who had given us the story that he was in traffic. He he pulled over and he you know sent us the an email with some photos, and so there were all these Enzos that were crashing at that point. <laughs> it was like every day you'd open you know you you you'd op- go online and there would be like some French dude crashed his his Enzo and like. And then Eddie Griffin did. And I was like, well, there was that whole, um, you know, there was the save Ferris thing from uh, Ferris Bueller. And then there was, yeah. there was the, what's her name? Uh, save, uh, uh, what was her name? Uh, the actress who was shoplifting. Oh. Uh, uh, Winona Ryder. Well, yeah, Ryder, yeah. So save Winona. So there was all this save, like there were these shirts with like Winona Ryder on it. It was like save Winona. So we did save the Enzos and that was like a shirt that we did. And the shirt just went went bananas and that was kind of became our kind of uh one of our the little so i anyway i registered the domain and now that's my domain <laughs> <laughs> it's a great it's a great website yeah. so people can find you at mike spin s-p-i-n uh your show is on thursdays that's after drive which is basically give a quick recap of that because we know what drive central is yeah, but so, let's... right exactly so after drive is now um we just find cool stuff to talk about um cheaply and um <laughs> no i mean really it's uh, we it, we're trying to address stuff that in the car enthusiasts want to argue about kind of um is the e30 bmw m3 the most hype overpriced hyped overhyped classic car in the history of classic cars um you know also how to stuff like how to get started in rallying you know all kinds of stuff like that most we got to get some detailing stuff on there, pal. Yes, we need some detailing stuff on there, definitely. Um, also, <laughs> but it's not driving. So it's the, that's why we called it after drive. So when people looking for Chris Harris videos won't get too pissed off because they already are kind of know that there aren't, isn't going to be a lot of driving. Yes. Even though, after even though we've yeah. got a, some driving stuff coming up. And uh, if you like vintage sobs going sideways, you're going to love it. Oh, man. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you taking some time and, and giving us the, the rundown of the Mike Spinelli world, which seems to be a very long, complicated web of, uh, of craziness. Yeah, I, I, uh, I tried to keep it short, but 
No, it's great. So uh, you can find Mike at uh, at Twitter, at Mike Spin. Visit his website, savetheenzos.com. Thursdays on After Drive. When is Drive Central? Uh, Monday. Oh, Sunday. It actually goes up. supposed to go up Sundays. Sundays on uh, on the Drive channel. What else am I missing? You have Facebook or Tumblr or uh, what else? Yeah, Facebook is just me. Um, I don't use it for personal stuff. So basically, you know, that's all. That's all business. All car stuff, basically. Um, oh, Tumblr. Yeah. Tumblr is Save the Enzos. Also, that's uh, that's that's where that site is hosted. So it's a Tumblr thing. Got a lot of nice uh, videos up here. I'm getting mesmerized by the uh, playbacks <laughs> that are going on here. While I'm <laughs> well, I recently <laughs> learned how to do uh, animated gifs, so I've been doing a ton of them. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, I appreciate your time, um, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Cool, man. I'll talk to you soon. Well, that was a lot of fun. Mike is the man, and I think uh, you know. Offline, we we sort of talked about uh, maybe uh, I'll come on his show on the After Drive show on July second. So keep. Uh, Keep a lookout on that. Um, you know, you should always be looking at the Drive channel, but specifically on July 2nd might be fun. I think it'll probably come out the 4th, though. So actually, keep an eye on July 4th. My uh, debut episode of Season 2 of Drive Clean comes out July 3rd, so that's going to be really exciting. But let's get into the questions. This has been a long podcast because of uh, inertia. There's lots of things to talk about today. Um, I'm going through all of my messages, and I picked one, but I just want to shout out some of the guys who are cool enough to Email me tons of questions, and I apologize. I am just inundated. I get two to 300 emails a day. I'm doing my best to respond to all of them. But I have Wally Jordan, Ian August, uh, Darren Landis, which we're going to actually read his, uh, Craig Bissell, Gerard Camarillo, Bill McCurick, Ian Tupaz, Tommy Svansson, uh, Douglas Mombrero, Kevin Gall- uh, Gallagher, and tons of Lewis Phillips. I just, uh, Jose Aris. I mean, tons and tons of questions, so I apologize. But we'll get to you um, uh, and I, I appreciate it. So Darren Landis writes, Hello, Larry. I've been watching your videos for the last couple of weeks now, and you do a very good job explaining the do's and don'ts. I have a son that has the in, has an interest in detailing, and I'd like to get him started in the right direction. I used, to, I used to detail cars 20 plus years ago with a cyclo polisher. My question is, would the Garose, or I always say that wrong, but whatever, Garose polisher uh, be a good start, or should I set, step up to a Roops or a Flex? Um, the chemicals are a whole other discussion for another day. Thanks, Darren Landis. Um, so, uh, yeah, the chemicals are another discussion, but all right. So the question is, you're starting off, you want your, in this particular question, you want your kid to start off, right? I'm going to give you a specific answer on this one because of the, uh, the, the random variables. And one of the variables is this seems to be a younger kid, uh, meaning the son, not the father. And the choices he gave me are the, uh, the grows and the, uh, and the roots of the flex. So the grow, I'm right off the back and I just, you know, tell you what the, what the answer is and I'll explain why I'd say the grows right off the bat. One is cheaper Two, There's not that big of a throw in it, which by the way, for prof- professional detailers can be a downfall. But now we're talking about someone who's starting off. You want to go easy. You don't want to scare the heck out of them right off the bat. So the grows polisher is going to do two things. One, it's going to be easy on your hands Two, It's I'm lying. It's going to be three things. It's, it's very light. And three, it's not going to, uh, it's not going to allow him to make any mistakes, really, um, where the roops and the flex, you can get in a little a little bit of trouble, not as much as a rotary, but a little bit of trouble just because the throw is so big. And I'm sort of extrapolating here that maybe this is a younger guy and he's starting to build muscle and, you know, the whole thing. you got to have a little muscle behind it because sometimes those polishers want to take off on you. Um, not as much as a rotary, of course, but... So my answer to you, Darren, is get your son a grows because... For multiple reasons, as I mentioned, but one of them is maybe he doesn't like detailing, and that's okay. He's weirdo. No, I'm kidding. Um, 
but that's okay. Uh, and you've only spent 120 bucks or whatever they are, and, and they're they're reasonably priced. So uh, I think that's a good way to go. Um, and we can talk about chemicals. We can talk about pads and polishes and all that. So shoot me an email, um, and uh, we'll go from there. So that's uh, that's the quick qu- the quick answer for today. I'm trying to skedaddle out of here because it's been uh, super long. I hope uh, I've kept your interest. Uh, a lot of you have emailed me and said, whoa, dude, your podcast is really good. You know, thanks for putting all the time and effort and, and all that. So, but thank you for listening. It, it means a whole lot to me. Um, and then I forgot to do a bunch of things. So this is the last little part and I'm going to let you go is I forgot to plug. I know that's like, uh, what you're supposed to do with a podcast, but I totally forgot because I don't know. I totally forgot. So the first number one plug of the day, uh, is shoutengine.com. That's where I host my, uh, or I have my podcast hosted and then it goes on to iTunes. I don't know any of that stuff. Uh, I let the shout engine guys do it. That's Chris Hayes. He's the man. He's super accessible. And if you ever want to get in touch with him, I'm pretty sure his Twitter is Hayes Data uh, at Twitter or however that Twitter works. But um, super nice guy. If you ever want to get in touch with him or you want to do a podcast or you want to learn more about it or you want to chat with someone interesting, he's on the TST, uh, the Smoking Tire podcast. Uh, he's the sound engineer, super sweet guy, and will help you out. And, um, you know, he's got his own business just like I do. So support the support the the startups and the upcoming guys, and, and he's the man. So you think podcast, think shoutengine.com. Uh, the Drive channel, where a lot of my episodes, specifically Drive Clean, is going to be airing July 3rd. It's going to be the, uh, the first episode of 13, um, and that's going to be PPI, or pre-purchase inspection, on my beloved car that I wasn't sure I was going to get, but we actually went through the process. So there's a lot of heart and soul behind these episodes because my, my little baby is in there. So uh, mark that down in your calendars, July 3rd, Drive channel. I should be coming out on the Drive channel on July 4th as well, which is... Um, the uh, uh, the Mike Spinelli episode on After Drive. So that should be fun. What else we have? Um, TheSmokingTire.com. Make sure you check them out. Matt Farr has been a super help, uh, super helpful to me over the years. We've been friends for X amount of time, and, and he plugs me, and I'm very grateful for that. So uh, Zach Clapman and, and all the boys there. Of course, support my man, Mike Musto, Big Muscle. Check out his episodes on the Drive channel or visit his website, uh, MrAngry.com or Mr., MrAngryInc.com. Buy some shirts. And lastly, I got berated from a couple of my uh, podcast fans that I didn't promote my own <laughs> didn't promote my own Facebook or my own website. Um, so I guess I'm a putz or whatever. But of course, it means a lot to me. Visit ammonyc.com, A-M-M-O-N-Y-C is in New York City.com. And uh, check out my Facebook page. Go on my Facebook page, facebook.com uh, slash ammonyc, and uh, send me questions. I am very, very bad at uh, responding specifically to Facebook's, but I am getting better at it. So maybe put the, the, uh, header on there, podcast or email me, of course, Larry at amonyc.com. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, those are my plugs and, uh, hopefully we're going to keep moving on to podcast four and, and do a bunch of uh, great things. Send me feedback. Let me know if, uh, the, the, we're playing with the levels and monkeying around or tell me, you know what, dude, you know, go outside and clean cars. We don't want to listen to you anymore. So any, any advice is, is uh, constructive criticism is great. Thank you so much for listening and uh, happy detailing. I'll talk to you guys soon.